I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Dorothy DeWitt, director of the Division of Market Oversight at the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Dorothy took a five-year career break, and then her relaunch took place uh, in 2014, but the process started before that, as the economy was emerging from the 2008 recession. And we're going to get into details about Dorothy's career path and her decision-making and her process. Dorothy, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you, Carol. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me as a guest. And it's great to have you. Uh, Can you please start by talking about the early years before you took a career break? What was your career path until that point? Sure. Thanks so much. Um, I grew up in Texas on a farm south of Houston with uh, a single mom and a sister. Uh, No air conditioning my entire life until I got to college. And that's going to be relevant in a little while when we talk about how I approached my career break. In that capacity, if something broke or if you needed to do something, you had to figure out how to, we, we were land rich and cash cash poor. So you had to figure it out yourself. Um, and that built some resilience. I went to um, University of Texas at Austin and um, and, 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 and studied um, in, a, in a program called Plan 2. And then I went on to um, Harvard Law School. And um, after that, I was in a clerkship, a federal clerkship in the Southern District of New York. Uh, clerking for a, a brilliant federal judge, uh, Sprizzo, at that time. Following the clerkship, I went on to Davis Polk, where I was a uh, an associate who focused on uh, white-collar criminal defense and, and securities law and, and so on and so forth for a couple years. When I was at Davis Polk, I enjoyed it ex- extremely um, much. I, I enjoyed it significantly, but I decided I wanted to do something other than litigation. I wanted to do something that was more forward-looking than backward-looking. And I decided I wanted to go into the hedge fund and fund a funds industry. And it's not an obvious leap to go from a litigation associate into um, what was my ultimate goal was a fund of funds role. Um, back then, hedge funds and fund, fund of funds industry um, were not household names. They weren't well known, so on and so forth. But I knew I was smart and I knew I could read a merger agreement or a uh, covenants in a, in, in, you know, a debt instrument as well as anyone else. And if someone gave me a, gave me a try or gave me an opportunity, I could make it work. And, and I did. I, I left Davis Polk and I took an opportunity that was given to me at an asset management company called ING Firm and Cells, um, an event-driven hedge fund that did merger arbitrage and other um, equity and credit-related event investing strategies. Mm-hmm. And um, the goal was really to, to go into fund of funds. But to do that, I needed to be at a hedge fund for a little while. Um, I was grateful for that opportunity and learned significantly. I took um, a number of courses um, outside of work to ensure I knew how to do financial modeling. I knew how to do valuations and and things like that. And those were exceptionally helpful. And that, you know, that that finding a way to improve your skill set is something that we can talk about a little bit as well as we go through. Mm. That's quite a journey from the farm on Texas to hedge funds and the whole Wall Street world. That's right. And um, sometimes that, you know, some that sometimes that was helpful and useful to my career and other times it it wasn't. Um, right now in the Commodity, Commodity Future Trading Commission, 
it's it is helpful because among other things, we oversee uh, livestock, uh, agriculture, um, commodities, energy commodities like oil uh, that mm-hmm. uh, were prevalent, uh, you know, in my earlier years. But if I can um, just continue on a little bit, I sure. went from ING Furman Cells and was recruited to move to London and be a portfolio manager at Global Asset Management GAM, which was um, one of the largest, if not the largest, um, fund of funds in the world. This was when fund of funds had the wind at its back. And we went from about, I was one of five portfolio managers. I started a fund um, as a portfolio manager in, in the area of arbitrage and oversaw um, a couple billion in other portfolios. Uh, my fund went from 10, 10 million to 500 million. Uh, and we, we wow. built out, yeah, we built out the fund of funds industry. Uh, we went from about 4 billion in assets under management to about 25 or 30 in a matter of, of years. Um, I then moved back to New York, uh, to get married and started at a much smaller uh, fund of funds, uh, called Cadogan asset man, Cadogan management. Uh, and that had a much longer track record, but fewer assets under management. And the idea was to build out an institutional investment platform to raise assets under management, uh, similar to what had been done successfully in the prior role. Mm-hmm. I stayed there for from 2005 to 2009. Um, when I was pregnant with my first child, uh, I was promoted to be the director of research and had two children while I was at uh, Cadogan Management. Mm-hmm. We went through the 2008 financial crisis, which was like with others in the industry and outside, exceptionally intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, I had my second baby just right around that time. And after that was all worked out at the end of 2009, uh, I, I, I determined that, or we determined that uh, I would, I would take a break, a career break. Um, didn't know how long that would be, uh, but knew that I wanted to spend time with um, my one and a half year old and my three year old, um, who's you know one of whose first words were was bailout. <laughs> Another whose first word was check age overnight because they toddle into the room at four o'clock in the morning and mama check Asia overnight. And so, with that in mind and knowing that these were the key years for my children. Uh, we decided I would take a career break and 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 really enjoyed that time. Um, fast forward a number of years and um, our, uh, I, I was looking at uh, a divorce and needed to come back into the career workforce. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that is something that is one of the reasons of many reasons that people determine that they need to or want to uh, end a career break and, and reenter. And, and that's what motivated me. Yes. So that that's where my reentry path started. Wow. That, uh, thank you for taking us through that. Uh, so then you were looking and uh, you were attempting to relaunch after a five-year career break and, and a very senior, interesting career uh, before your career break. So what did you do? Like, how? Did, where did you start? How did you end up getting the... Uh, the uh, role in the JP Morgan reentry program, which is a formal return to work program uh, 
at JP Morgan for people relaunching careers. And then you, around the same time, you got an offer for the full-time job at uh, S&P Global. Can you talk us through how that all happened? The first way I would answer how I did it is I did it badly. I did it as well as I knew how to, but I didn't know how to. Mm -hmm. And so what I found is that I had a, a few years before I had ended my my active career to take a career break at a quite a se- senior level. And when I looked to reenter, it wasn't obvious at what level or how. So there might be times where I would interview for a role and I'd be seen as more qualified or more senior than the person who would be my supervisor. Of course, in my view, that didn't matter, but that can matter. Uh, and so I ran into that a good bit. And I also struggled a little bit with the online nature of applying. I'm sure folks still do. It's it's tough to constantly put in applications and, and hear back or not hear back, largely because I didn't really fit the box very well. Mm-hmm. And I also candidly think resumes matter. I did the best that I knew with a resume, but as we talk about it, you know, a little further on, I'll walk through how I, I course corrected on, on those various things. I did have a number of, um, of interesting kind of scenarios. For example, I remember um, getting an interview at a terrific big bank and getting a babysitter and, you know, getting my suit on and and you know, all the things that go along with you know what you're not used to doing if you've taken a break for five years and I remember it being you know extremely hot in the city and going to that bank and um, in the lobby uh, waiting to go up and the response to the receptionist was you know they're so sorry but something has come up and we're going to have to reschedule oh. and while that happens of course that happens mm-hmm. and it's yeah. nobody's fault it happens it's too bad. But I remember being so deflated. Um, and, and, and so, you know, things like that would happen and I'd do my very best, but uh, I'd come home every day and my kids are old enough to know what was going on. And I look back at it and in some ways I'm very proud to be able to have, have them see me um, try, fail, try, fail, try again, adjust, try again, adjust. And eventually it worked. And I think it was some lessons in resilience, lessons in course correction, lessons in, you know, that I, I took from my childhood where when the tractor breaks and you don't have any money to fix it, you've got to figure out how to fix it yourself. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I applied and, and one of my themes in advising folks who are having a challenge or, or facing challenges, because there, there are always challenges in reentry, is to take what you know, to take what you do well. In this case, it happened to be resilience and, you know, some creativity and some ability to kind of course correct a good bit um, fairly seamlessly and and to use that and to feel confidence in what you know and do well and to use that to get yourself to the to the place you'd like to be. So what I did is I I made some progress. I I certainly uh, refreshed my my contacts and that was very helpful. Uh, I do think that planting seeds by refreshing your contacts is very important. Each contact may or may not have something at the time, but they may think of something later and you'll be on their radar screen. I also uh, pivotally um, went went to, I, I read actually, 
the first thing I read was the only book I could find on on how to re- relaunch since I hadn't met the success that I was hoping to have. Mm-hmm. And so I read uh, a, a book written by you and Vivian Steer Rabin back on the career track. And it, that book is focused a little bit more on moms reentering, but it, those lessons will apply to anyone, whether it's someone who took a career break to take care of their their parents or a loved one or any other reason. I found that incredibly helpful because it gave me a lexicon, a lexicon that I hadn't developed successfully on my own. I then, having read that, looked up I Relaunch and, and went to a fall conference, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. and sat in a big, I guess you'd call it auditorium-like room. And up on the stage were people explaining what their experiences were and, and you, and, and I believe Vivian was, it was before she retired. So I believe she was there as well and giving a lexicon and giving an approach. And I remember, you know, sharing names with the people who sat next to me and it was terrific to know that there were other people and that there was a way to explain your career break that was really simple, not defensive, you know, Mm -hmm. confident and, and successful. So that was, I think, the pivotal moment. Um, at that time, uh, and, and you may still, um, I Relaunch had offered um, coaching um, as a part of what they do, did, mm-hmm. and I utilized a terrific coach um, named Michelle Fried- Friedman uh, that ha- was affiliated with I, I Relaunch in some capacity, mm-hmm. and she really helped me. That that was really what made the greatest difference. If I you know, narrow it down to one thing. I, I think a career coach, we develop professionally in ways, you know, in, in various ways across our entire career and after we're, after we're retired, I expect. And um, Michelle Friedman was able to help me identify clearly what my goals were and identify what steps would make sense to achieve them and, and, and to be timely and accountable across the approach that we had developed. So what I, what we did, for example, is we looked and said, all right, well, you know, what network can I develop? And Harvard Law School was the fanciest thing in my background by far. And there were plenty um, men and women in that network uh, that I could, I could uh, you know, reach out to and, and, and have informational interviews and, and let them know what I was looking to do. So at the time, there was a nascent group called the... Um, HLSWA, the Harvard Law School Women's Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, that law school has been around for centuries, and there was no women's alumni group um, developed at all until about 2012. And so I remember, again, putting on that suit, getting the babysitter in the middle of the day, and going to one of the initial meetings of the New York chapter of the HLSWA. And I looked around a conference room. It was hosted by a a, a, a partner who is now my friend um, mm-hmm. to help network and co- do continuing legal education. And there were four or five women and they went around the room and talked about why they were there and what they could contribute. And I was just honest. And fast forward um, through that, through that, I, I, I volunteered to do events and, and things like that and worked hard to network across the women's network, which I think is a terrific network. Affinity groups are, are really wonderful. And I got my first job through that, um, through that network. And the first job was as a um, contractor at JP Morgan. 
uh, implementing FATCA globally. And I came in, I called, I called myself, uh, I, I, I think you, you may have coined the term first. I, I called myself the 40-year-old the uh, temp. Uh, <laughs> actually, I was a contractor. But I, I went there, I joined, I didn't know anything about FATCA, but knew I could figure it out and faced some of the technological issues that we can discuss if you like of remembering how to use a calendar and <laughs> things like that. Uh, but I worked very hard and I had terrific colleagues and I was honest with what my situation was. And after, I forget exactly, but about six months, uh, the JP Morgan reentry program, which I credit I relaunch and you and and the likes of Michelle Friedman with going from non-existent to practically ubiquitous in the corporate world mm -hmm. over 10 years. It's just mm -hmm. absolutely terrific. But this is one of the er earlier cohorts. Yeah, for um, sure. They invited me to to apply. And so I had to apply just like everyone else and it's you know these these can be numerically challenging to to, to get accepted because there are a lot of applicants, but now there are a lot of opportunities. It used to be, you know, four or five banks that had it. And now, now they're everywhere. And um, I was accepted. And that to me was, you know, the first absolutely terrific thing that happened on my relaunch career. Mm -hmm. So that that's pretty amazing because you already had secured for yourself that contract role, but this symbolically in some way was, was a really big step to be part of that program. That's exactly right. And so as I, if we walk through my career further, I'll tell you a couple of themes that started in that experience. Mm -hmm. Number one is I had been in some fairly senior roles before I took a career break and I jokingly called myself the 40 year old temp. And yeah. that felt a little odd. Mm -hmm. And one of the themes is that there are a lot of steps on the path to fully reentering and each one can yield significant benefits near term or long term, either by experience or by um, networking or, or other things. And so I wouldn't be where I am now had I not gotten that opportunity to work at an hourly rate on a global implementing a global financial project. Mm -hmm. Nor would I be where I where I am were it not for those absolutely terrific colleagues who were patient with me on little things like when I'd mess up a calendar invite because I it'd been so long since I did it, um, versus you know other areas where I could contribute very significantly. I I will tell you one story. Um, yes, that'd be great. Upon re-entering, um, I found it, as most people will, to be a little bit of a challenge from time to time when I needed to go into work every day and work very hard and maybe the babysitter wouldn't be available or something like that. And there was one time when we had an all-day meeting with about five people in the room focusing very um, seriously on some matter that we were addressing. And my son uh, couldn't go to school and the babysitter wasn't available. So what am I going to do? I brought him in. Uh, put him in the corner of the conference room. We worked for eight hours and he watched uh, videos with these huge headphones over his ear. And when the meeting ended, uh, one of the participants of the meeting, uh, probably the most senior in the room, walked over to him in the corner and uh, very friendly said, you know, son, you've done such a nice job being quiet here. And those are some big headphones. Tell me about those headphones. And my son beamed back at him and 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 and, and the gentleman said, you know, these are great. Why do you have them on? 
And my son took the headphones off and said, because I don't want to hear material non-public information. <laughs> and I happened, to get the, story. I happened to get the re-entry role, uh, you know, a couple weeks thereafter. And I, I still think that the reason I got it is because my son proved that, uh, you know, we raise them right. Um, in our family. And I, I credit my son for that, that, that quick response. Uh, that's such a great story. I love it. Uh, so, okay. So you're in the JP Morgan re-entry program and then what happens? Sure. So I'm in, in the JP Morgan reentry program, which is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, imagine all various other reentry programs are, are similar, but it was a team of about 20 or 20 or 25 uh, men and women who were reentering for different reasons, uh, ranging from 20 years off in the workforce to just a few. And it was just terrific to have that cohort and those, those friends to support each other. I still remember so many of them and stay in touch. Um, we were trained in all the different things we, we needed to be trained in, how to, how to deal with technology, how to focus on various challenges, how to onboard, you know, with as steep of a learning curve as, as you can and so on and so forth. And in the middle of that program, um, I got a call from someone with whom I'd worked, a partner with whom I'd worked at, uh, Davis Polk, uh, who had become the general counsel of S&P. Um, the, the company that's been renamed since uh, that time to S&P Global. And she needed help on some major strategic initiatives. Um, my, my boss, Lucy Fado, is now the general counsel of AIG. But at the time, there were some significant projects that came out of a, a very sizable regulatory and legal settlement. And she brought me on board. It was an offer I couldn't refuse. And I, I joined her and the company and worked on some major strategic initiatives, um, implementing some of the things that were needed coming out of those those legal settlements. Um, I was there for a few years, uh, and, uh, to the point where those that um, type of implementation was was fairly complete. Um, she left the company, and um, and our projects were complete. So I I joined Davis Polk, where I did some you know a number of different things in. Um, in the private equity and, and litigation space. Um, my friends and colleagues at Davis Polk, I'd known them for years from my prior work there, mm -hmm. um, knew that I was interested in, in going in-house. And so not too long after I uh, joined Davis Polk and did some work there, um, Citadel Securities, which is the broker-dealer side and swap-dealer side of, of Citadel, it also has a hedge fund side, um, needed a secondee uh, to help them with some major initiatives. And so I was seconded for a period of time that ended up being extended to a couple of years and was given the title of COO of legal and compliance. But um, I, in short, helped them with whatever they needed, um, whether it was legal compliance or you know, sort of technology, uh, ensuring as much efficiency as possible and helping them fulfill their, um, you know, their obligations. That mm -hmm. was probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, I, I speak very favorably and, and view very favorably uh, that team and that, that group, a terrific culture of compliance in, in my experience. And I learned a tremendous amount about um, how broker-dealer and swap-dealer worlds uh, work from the inside. And I've learned from, from the very best, like uh, my colleagues, Steve Luparello and Scott Cloyne and others who had just a tremendous amount of experience in in those areas, um, and and made some some great uh, colleagues and friends, um, you know, throughout that time. Mm -hmm. 
Let me just ask you something. When you first came back, Dorothy, to the 40-year-old temp role um, at J.P. Morgan, and then when you were also in the early stages of your role at S&P, did you just like... Did, did you just like go smoothly right into those roles at, with, and and it everything came right back to you? Or how did you get yourself up to speed on the legal side when you were in the early days of those roles? Absolutely. So very early before I got that job at JP Morgan as a, as a contractor, I also looked at nonprofits. So I was looking at various different types of roles. And I didn't have a lot of money. I was in this case with a tiny mm-hmm. apartment, mm-hmm. unlike my upbringing, uh, land poor and cash poor. Um, mm-hmm. So I I went to PLI and said, there's a seven hour course on... Wait, hold on. What's, can you just oh, say for our audience what PLI is? Sure. Thank you. Um, sorry about that. Practicing Law Institute is a nonprofit that provides continuing legal education. And I needed to get up to speed on nonprofit law in order to do an interview for a job I was looking at. And it was very expensive. So I asked them if, you know, here's what my situation is. I emailed them. Here's what my situation is. Um, I'd really like to do this seven hour course, which is very expensive. I, it's more than my budget. Would you let me sit, uh, take this course, I forget, either at a discount or, or gratis, if I promise to contribute X amount of time to nonprofits on a pro bono basis. Mm. And you know what? They said yes. Wow. And I did I did my, my end of the bargain, and I was so incredibly grateful. Uh, I don't know if they would do that again. Of course, you know, I just was grateful for what they provided me. And so I utilized that ability to sort of what I was confident in, like figure out a solution. I read a ton. I networked a ton. I, I I studied a lot, like crazy. But in each of these roles, there are different areas of law. FATCA is very complicated, tax-oriented. At, J- at JP Morgan, S&P Global had a brand new Dodd-Frank um, regulations for right. um, uh, ratings agencies that needed to be implemented that were complicated and, and different. Um, and certainly swaps and broker-dealer Law and regulation was something that I, I learned a tremendous amount of, um, you know, at, at, at Citadel as well. And in each one, I, it became easier and easier to, and I, I felt more and more confident that I could get my arms around these these issues if I focused and worked hard and, and tried to utilize my opportunity to learn as much as I could. So I, I, I basically, there, there's no way around it other than trying to make sure that you're continuously educating yourself like I did early on when I left law and went to a hedge fund and took took courses outside of work. Mm-hmm. There's always an opportunity now. They're much, you know, easier to access in many ways. Um, even since then, you know, we talked about PLI, which is the institute that helps with continuing legal education. Yes. At some of these places, I have unlimited, folk, employees have unlimited access. And even now, uh, I will go spend a Saturday afternoon gardening and I will listen to an overview of swaps regulation. And while I know in my current job, a lot of that, I will always learn something. And so I've really am dedicated and would suggest to folks who are looking for recommendations that um, 
continuing education in the area in which you're interested in and may have had past experience in just to stay afresh is something mm-hmm. that is, is extremely useful and can help your confidence a lot. Mm-hmm. Very good. Thank you. So yes, maybe take us through um, the series of roles that you had uh, after the Citadel experience. Sure. So from Citadel, I was recruited to become the uh, general counsel, um, vice president and general counsel of uh, business lines and markets, focusing on products at Coinbase. Um, I also was looking at an opportunity at the same time in a more um, much more traditional asset management role. And in fact, at the same terrific financial institution that had unfortunately had to cancel that one interview. Um, mm. uh, oh, wow. So it's always important to, when, when things like that happen to, to, to graciously, you know, um, understand that there are probably reasons behind it. Um, and so I was looking at more traditional path and a, and a less traditional path. And um, having done some some smaller startup work and enjoyed it very much, I thought it would be a terrific opportunity to to learn this space that was emerging and intellectual and interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was a general counsel um, of the exchange and, and custodian businesses um, there for a year. And I spent a tremendous amount of time before joining um, trying to understand and learn blockchain and crypto and so on and so forth. And it was just a terrific experience because every day, every day I would learn a, an enormous amount as, as the industry developed and innovated significantly. So, and I had some, some fantastic colleagues to, to spend time with and to work with uh, and to learn from. And, and, and that was an absolutely terrific experience. And one of the um, members of my team, um, a securities lawyer, and a commodities lawyer named Andrew Reidenauer was a, also a good friend. He had worked at the CFTC previously, and he returned to the CFTC while I was at in that role um, uh, as uh, at uh, Coinbase. And um, he, wait, hold on, just reminding our audience that that's the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Okay, go ahead. That's right, and and the CFTC oversees commodities, um, cryptocurrency. Um, is uh, generally a commodity, although some types of cryptocurrency could be securities regulated by the SEC. But in general, they're considered to be commodities. So the CFTC is relevant to that industry and oversees Ah. those markets, among others. And uh, he identified that there was an open position uh, for the Division of Market Oversight uh, Director's role. And um, he introduced me to interview and that ended up being successful. And I um, was incredibly excited to join um, the CFTC. Um, that involved going back and forth between New York and DC, mm-hmm. and Coinbase involved San Francisco to New York. And so, mm. at a minimum, the um, you know the the day to day with with two kids who were nearing middle school um, was was an improvement for for what I needed, and it just was a terrific opportunity to, to join a regulator at a time of incredible um, innovation and market development and has has turned out to be especially interesting in light of and challenging and 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 rewarding in light of some of the market volatility we've seen right wow very interesting you know Dorothy when you go when you think about the scope of your career you've worked in so many areas of the law you've been in the public sector the private sector you've been in-house you've been in, in law firms you've been in startups and I'm interested in your thoughts about 
how do you compare all of those environments as, as work experiences and work environments? And has one emerged as one that you like the best or how do you think about it? Sure. So I think over time, as you just identified, I've worked in areas of law that can be very different. And so that has required developing an ability to get a, a workable understanding of those areas of the law so that I could add, can add value. And after you do it a few times, you get a little bit more confident that you can do it. And what I've ended up, the approach I've ended up taking when I go to a new area of the law is I've developed confidence over time. I'm, I think if you work very hard and you have integrity and you work well within a team and 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 can utilize your your skill set to add value in a in a meaningful way, um, then you end up it ends up working out pretty well. And what I've done over time is develop a confidence that I have good judgment, uh, terrific skill sets in in many ways, and and experience that I can bring to bear in various roles, and that I have the ability to get up to speed and if if something is new, I've also tried to bring a sense of humility. One of my values is to never pretend that I know something I don't. Mm-hmm. It's okay not to know something. It's okay to ask a question that might be a dumb question. It might not be a dumb question. And over time, I've gotten more uh, experience and and confidence in my abilities to to do those. There will always be uh, folks, and there certainly are at the CFTC, you know, m- my whole team of, of nearly 100 um, are, are probably far technically superior than I am in, you know, all the areas. Um, but I do think I bring to bear a career of experience, um, I think quality management skills and, and judgment and um, the perspective of the private practice uh, that that can add value to, to, to the role. And I'm fortunate enough to work under an absolutely terrific um, chairman. I work for the chairman, um, Heath Tarbert, who's just, you know, absolutely phenomenal. And mm-hmm. so it all works out. Wow. That, that, thank you for, for talking about that. And, you know, this, this piece about having a sense of humility and never pretending to know something you don't, I, I think, especially for relaunchers who, sometimes get worried about their credibility being questioned. If they ask a question that is somehow perceived as dumb, that that's a very important messaging. Uh, so let me ask you, um, all these years later, um, it's, it's 2020, you relaunched in 2014. Do you think of yourself as a relauncher anymore? And, and if not, at what point did you shed that identity? I don't think of myself as relauncher. I do think of myself as someone who shed that identity, but still has it has the has it close enough to home to pay it forward. Mm-hmm. So, as I mentioned, the Law School Women's Alliance was the catalyst to help me get my contractor job at J.P. Morgan. I then realized that there was a big need out there, and now you know, you've really paved a path to allow relaunchers to, 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 to relaunch, you know, much more effectively than, you know, the various mistakes I made. 
but I went on to to volunteer extensively for that organization. It's um, the Harvard Law School Women's Alliance is the largest uh, special interest group at the law school. It has 13,000 women globally. Hmm. And I became president and, and, and built out that network globally from about a handful of chapters to upwards of, of 50 across the globe. How did I do that? I utilized the skills I learned at JP Morgan implementing major initiatives. Mm-hmm. So I paid it forward. And I, 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 anytime I saw or, or knew of a person who was looking to relaunch, I you know, sought to help them. I'll give you one other little example that I found sure. really interesting. So in my law school class, there were, you know, all kinds. And there was a little group of men who were, you know, super athletic and um, very smart, of course, but kind of thought of them as as the jocks and not not especially sensitive. Um, I liked them, but, uh, you know, they were sort of, I viewed them that way. Mm-hmm. And um, I reached out in my networking to two of them. And one of them said to me, um, you know, a, a loved one um, had trouble getting a job and I try very hard to help people. And that was so empathetic for someone that I had thought of as more kind of brilliant and athletic, but not empathetic. Mm. And another one of them was um, the general counsel of Citadel, uh, also just terrific and, and empathetic and, and gave me that opportunity as well. So it does show that um, you know, people as they over time, it's important to keep up with your network and to, to 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 recognize that sometimes you'll get help in areas that you might not have expected, and then to utilize that help or utilize the benefit of that and and pay it forward. So I've I've spent a tremendous amount of time not seeing myself in 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 recent years as a relauncher, but in seeing myself as someone who can support others in those efforts. Mm, yeah, you know. I- you never know who is going to end up being supportive. And I love that you talked about those examples because we see that as a theme. Relaunchers will say, you know, I never expected that this per- person X would, you know, have, have any connection to me. And it turned out that they were so connected and they had so much empathy. And there was usually some sort of a personal experience or personal connection that fueled that. Uh, but you just never know. So I'm, 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 I'm glad you underscored that Dorothy. So we're winding up now and I, it's, it's been an incredible conversation. I want to end with the question that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience? Even if it's something that we've already talked about today. Well, if I may, I might say a couple, a couple of themes. Sure. Number one is to take what you feel confident in yourself about and build that out. So a relauncher may have built a PTA or navigated their way through incredibly difficult paperwork around caring for an ailing loved one over the years. Whatever that is, take what you feel confident about and and, and build that out and use it. Use it in your relaunch and in, in your career. You'll build other skills along with that, but always know that that you do X well. Um, the second is to be authentic. Um, there's no reason at this day and in this day and age to be in any way defensive about having taken time off. It's perfectly great to be yourself. Sometimes brevity is better, especially in an interview on those things. But you help me and others learn the lexicon and the ability to answer a question with confidence and brevity that's authentic. 
Wow. Um, and I, I, I think those, those would be the two main, main things. Um, last one, I guess I'd say is resilience. Mm-hmm. It really does all work out in the end. You know, there were a few times I came home to my kids and said, you know, I went to the umpteenth interview and I didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And I kept going because there was no other choice. And my kids saw that and they saw the resilience I showed because I didn't have a choice. And you know what? I'm really proud of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud of the, the, you know, the lessons and the takeaways from that. And it, it all works out in the end. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's going to job searches are, and, and, and reentering at a, you know, temp level at the age 40 or whatever. Sometimes they can feel a little suboptimal, but really they're stepping stones. And, and, and sometimes when you reenter, you may have to go to two or three different jobs to, to go laterally and upwards, uh, but you'll have the ability, you'll have the opportunity. And if you work hard with integrity and, and, and add value, um, it will all work out. Mm. Yeah. I'm, ju- I'm also thinking about the power of the modeling for your own kids that you were doing by showing the, the, the resilience in the face of having yet another setback. So I'm, I'm just thinking about what they learned from your example. So really, really powerful stuff. Well, Dorothy, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's really a pleasure. And, and, and I know it was many years ago, but I want to thank you and Vivian for what you did for relaunchers by um, helping give us the skills and the ability and, 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 and the precedent to, to relaunch our careers. It, it, it affected me tremendously, and, and I know you've had such a great effect on, on so many others. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Dorothy. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.